So throughout this series, we've been reading from the book of Hebrews, the sermon from the preacher in Hebrews. And uh, we've been looking in particular at passages that talk about what Jesus has done on the cross. This book of Hebrews, this preacher who preaches this beautiful message that what Jesus has done actually truly does have the power to change us on the inside so that the out external practices of God are no longer the the system of how we connect and experience the forgiveness, the purification, the the at-one-ment of God, that a new way has been established. And it's more powerful than anything that we could do on our own. That's what we heard last week from Pastor Kelly. We've also heard this message that it is only through Jesus Christ that we pass through into the presence of God as one who is accepted and who is loved and who is transformed. That we are not the ones who make the requirements or the depictions or the the rules about who belongs in the presence of God. It is all of those whom Jesus calls to himself. It is through him that salvation comes. Salvation truly does belong to our God. And we see that we can look for Jesus in all circumstances because of the way that Jesus obediently followed living the will of God. That we can see Jesus in times of suffering as well as in times of great joy because Jesus became like us and chose and now understands all that we face, all that we experience, all that we are tempted and challenged by, that truly now, as one who understands all of those things, he is also the one who sings our praises in the presence of God, our maker. He sings our praises. Out of his great love for us, he has welcomed us into that place. He has done the work of getting us there. And then he's bragging about us to God because of all that he has given and done for us and to us before God. Oh, and by the way, he is the maker of all things. He is the heir of all things. All things belong to him, so we belong to him, and he can do as he pleases with those things that belong to him. And he has chosen to make us welcome. He has chosen to deal with sin, both as an action and as a powerful force at work in this world. He has chosen to do those things for us so that we may truly begin to live a life that is the eternal life already now so that we may know what it means when we pray your kingdom come. We are not just praying about the future, we are praying about today. Jesus has made all of those things possible and the preacher continues to harp on this message. So here again, the message from the preacher Chapter 9, verse 24. We're just going to read four short verses. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made by human hands, 
a mere copy of the true one, but he entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself again and again as the high priest enters the holy place year after year with blood that is not his own, for then he would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for mortals to die once, and after that the judgment, so Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. This is the word of the Lord. So first of all, We want to recognize, as we have multiple times, that we do not come from the same tradition, religious tradition, as the people who were listening to this sermon the first time, right? We aren't people who have had a habit of going and offering sacrificial offerings to God at the temple or the tabernacle, and we aren't people who are still doing that activity as we try to figure out this new faith and what Jesus has done and all of that that means for us. Remember, one of the things that the preacher is trying to help them to understand is that they no longer have to live in these two religious worlds that can fully give themselves over to the depth and the meaning of what Jesus has done for them, that they don't have to continue to go and make the temple sacrifices. And so the preacher talks in these broad strokes about stuff that the people who were listening then truly understood much better than you and I, because they lived it. And these broad strokes present to us a picture of not the literal activity of the people, but enough of the sense of the purpose of what was happening. And so when he's talking about the sacrifice of what Jesus has done, he is trying to show them about how the way that they handled the sacrifice as God had established it as an experience for them to know the forgiveness of God, to know the power and really recognize the consequences of sinfulness, and to know the cleansing and purifying work of God in the offering experience of the temple and the tabernacle, all of those things now are caught up in that once-for-all event of the cross. Once-for-all event. And there are lots of other offerings that were offered at the temple. There were offerings that were offered solely to God. There were offerings that were offered in thanksgiving for a way that God had answered a prayer that were then shared with the family that ate them. And then there were these sin offerings that were offered to God, where the person who brought the offering would put their hand on the animal before the priest as a way of identifying themselves with the life that was in that animal, as a way of showing that they understood that there was a cost to their sinfulness. And as God received that offering from them of the life of that animal, they understood it as a sign of God's actual forgiveness to them. That itself was not the act of forgiveness of God. Because we know as God proclaims himself over and over in Scripture, it is God's free-willing gift of forgiveness. 
But this sacrifice on behalf of a human who has either done things knowingly or recognizing, again, we've heard this in Hebrews, recognizing that there are things that we do that we have no idea about their wrongness, sins that we aren't aware of as well as sins that we are aware of. But by putting the hand of the person on the animal, recognizing that there is an identification happening with this offering to God, an identification with the life, an identification with the fact that what we have done and the power of sin at this world means that there is things happening that should not be happening, that death is happening. And then what would happen is the priest would take the life, the blood from that animal and would sprinkle it sprinkle it in the worship space of where they were, and then sprinkle it on the people as this experience and this act of cleansing. Because it's not just the sin that separates us from God, but it's what has happened that has made us not who we truly are because of sin that separates us from God. And in the act of the blood being sprinkled upon not just the worship space, but on the people, there was this recognition and this experience for the people who were gathered there that there was a cleansing that was happening. So we get this experience of understanding forgiveness is real. We get this experience of understanding that there is a cost to not just our sins as actions, but a cost to the fact that sin exists in the world. And we get this experience of being cleansed from the effects and the harm and the damage that is done. And that there is a place to belong with the sin offering. And so the preacher says what Jesus has done is he has not just done that in some human place that mirrors what we believe to be the truth about God and heaven. Jesus has gone to heaven and done this. And because he is perfect, because he has loved with a perfect love, because he has lived the perfect, obedient life, because he is God, as well as one who on the cross with outstretched arms identified himself with all of humanity. So doing the reverse of a human being who puts its hand on an animal to identify with that animal, God identified with humanity for our sake. He has cleansed us. He has shown us that forgiveness is real. And he is the almighty who shows us the true cost of a world that is not the way that it should be. That his sacrificial life and his sacrificial death is priceless. So priceless and powerful, in fact, that it is enough to cover the sins of the whole world across time and space. Just once. Once for all. Once for all. No more do we repeat this sacrifice action in the way 
that it was in the Old Covenant. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed and before he went to do that sacrificial act, he said, this is the new covenant. This is the new way that you will experience these things of God through the shedding of my blood. And so we've been preaching all of Hebrews from behind the table to remind us that this is the story, these are the truths, this is the foundation, that we do not offer Jesus again and again and again for our sins, but we trust that that once-for-all act was truly enough for the forgiveness of all our sins. That once-for-all act was truly enough to bring an end to the power of darkness in this world. Even if we do not know in our bones because of what we experience that to be completely true. But we trust that Christ is no ordinary high priest, that his offering truly does last forever because of the fact that he has brought himself into the throne room of God and he has brought us with him. That our flesh, our human flesh, as Jesus, our ascended Lord, is in the presence of God, that we trust that that means that we too are welcome because he is the one who sings our praises in that place. It is not what we have done, but what he has done, and that, re- that works in the other way. That there is not a measure of our unworthiness that keeps us from that place. Because to believe otherwise, to doubt that work of Christ, is to say that Jesus has to keep dying for you. To doubt that your sins are truly forgiven, to doubt that anyone else's sins could truly be forgiven by God, is to say that that once-for-all sacrifice of Jesus was not enough. And it is to demand that he die again. That's what the preacher is trying to help us to see and to understand. To trust and believe that now God has dealt with sin and is inviting us to something else and our focus on how to live a life with him. In the Apprentice series this last week, we actually talked about this, that the narrative that we believe, even though there's a bit of truth to it, is that it is still our sin that separates us from God. But the full, true narrative of Scripture is that it is not our sin that still separates us from God. It is our refusal of his grace. It is our refusal to accept what the preacher in Hebrews has been telling us, that this was a once-for-all work of God, that now we don't have to... depend on the priest to go into the holy of holies and be in god's presence on our behalf because christ is doing that work interceding for us in heaven still he lives remember hebrew says he lives to do that work but jesus lives to do that work in such a way that you come with him into the presence 
of God. That you pass through the knowledge of Jesus and what he has done and find yourself, as Adam and Eve did at the very beginning, unashamed, ready to hear what is the will of God, able, able to understand the will of God, trusting that the Holy Spirit will continue to transform you. You can only be transformed if you were in the presence of God to live more and more into his likeness so that sin is no longer the controlling factor or power in your life, but it is the power of the living God who is in control and in power. The preacher says that Jesus is coming again not to deal with our sin, not to judge, but to save those who eagerly wait And we know that that means that when Jesus comes again, it is that continuation of the work that has already begun. It's that final cleansing work of his blood to cleanse this place of what does not belong to the way of God. It is not for us to stand on our own with our sins being judged, but it is for us to recognize what has already happened because of Christ. That Jesus was the one who bore all of our sins. That Jesus was the one who, in his beautiful perfection, is the one whom God sees when he sees us at the judgment day. And if we have passed through him, we belong But it is our refusal of his grace that keeps us. Because it's almost easier because we know it, right? We know sin. It's almost easier for us to stay there. To stay in that world. When the priests, the holy priests, the high priests, excuse me, would go in on the Day of Atonement, which was one day of year, so this is one of the special kind of offerings that he would give on behalf of all of the people of God. He would have to wear special clothing when he went in. And then the people would wait outside of that part of the temple, eagerly anticipating whether or not that priest was going to make it back out. Because to encounter the holiness of God is dangerous business, right? And so the priest would have to cleanse himself before he would go in, and he'd have to put on a special outfit that first in part symbolized the way he was representing all of the people and symbolized the holiness of God. And then he would come back out, and the people would know. They would know that this work of forgiveness, this work of understanding the cost, this work of being cleansed, had been done by God for them. And as we wait, we do that same thing. We wait eagerly to know that this salvation is complete in Christ, in the new heaven, in the new earth. And here is the beautiful thing. 
when the veil of that holy of holies was torn as Jesus died on the cross, it was the beginning of that. It was the beginning of the end of the age where we could all go into the place that symbolized and marked the presence of God where we, because of Jesus, are now welcome at Jesus' death that has already begun. That it is not our sin that keeps us from going into that space, but it is our refusal to accept that invitation, our refusal of that grace to go and know that Jesus has made us belong with him. When I was in high school, I received a pretty hefty scholarship from an organization that gave, that gave resources for college to students who had overcome some sort of adversity. And it was based on an organization of um, very successful people in America who had done the same thing, who had come from, uh, for lack of a better term, rags to riches type stories. And uh, I didn't know at the time uh, what things like business casual meant for clothing. Uh, so I showed up and we were going to, and the, so part of the getting these, this scholarship was that you went to Washington DC for a week and you got to meet uh, politicians and Supreme Court justices and uh, have dinners with these successful business people and uh, it all kind of culminated in this yearly uh, fancy dinner. And they had already told us that they were going to give us the, the, the suits and the dresses that we were to wear to this fancy dinner. So they were already clothing us appropriately to belong in that space. But there was this other part about all these other meetings that we were having throughout the week where I didn't have the right clothes. And I remember just crying when I realized this, because here were these people who were doing this nice, like, amazing thing for me, who were making something possible for me, and I felt ashamed and embarrassed about that. And I remember going and talking to one of the leaders and just admitting that I didn't have the right clothes. And the love and the grace that I received, we went shopping. I was given money. I was not the only one, but the fact that they made no big deal about the fact that I didn't have the right things to belong, but instead gave me what I needed to belong. Because it wasn't really what I needed to belong, because I already belonged. I already belonged to this shared story that we had. They had already given me what I needed. And when I think of the work of Jesus, who with his blood is described in Revelation as the thing that clothes us for what we need, clothes us with his righteousness, clothes us in the white robes of purity because of his purity, he has already given us what we need. 
And I remember as I stood up there on that stage for that dinner, again overwhelmed and crying, but not because I was ashamed, because I truly meant what had been, I truly understood what had been given to me, what this gift of belonging had been, had meant to me, and what it would mean for me to carry that forward because it was meant to give me something, this scholarship. It was meant to be a scholarship that said, you will not give up. Because you are worthy. We see it. And Jesus says, I have made you worthy. I have loved you and welcomed you So will you come into the presence of God to receive all that I have to give you? Or will you refuse my grace? Amen. Let's sing together. Ah. Uh...